mm. you you had us at um, <laughs> what do we say? I think it's been a year. What do we? What uh, intro? I think ah. we go. What do we you go? Had us at, and then we both go hello. Hello. Yeah, like that. Yeah, just like that. I mean, I, I that'll do. That'll do. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Let's go no, let's one try more again. Time. Let's try again. Okay. You had us at. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, that was. It's much been better. too long, but here we are again. Oh, good Billy. morning, good afternoon, good international it's, time. It's a bumper edition. I actually forgot to tell you that I I went back onto our iTunes feedback thing, and mm-hmm. it said uh, someone had commented from our last pod, which is obviously over a year ago now. Uh, Billy and Tess's uh, raison d'etre is to revive the romantic comedy. But it seems like their work here is done because they stopped recording any podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. we've 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 killed it. There you That's go. Right. That's all. We yeah. we're single handedly responsible for reviving it and then never talking of it ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because there it is. It's out there. We've done it. We've you done guys it. can take over at this point. Yeah. Right. And also, it's important to clarify to listeners that we are we are doing this on Zoom. We are doing this socially distanced. Um, uh, very socially distant, so yes. distant. So apologies if the sound quality is not. I'm going to say our usual uh, sound uh, standard. Unusually good because right. Technomaster Tess has. Oh uh, we both purchased new microphones for this, and uh, yeah. wishes luck. In line with sort of talking about why we haven't actually podded um, for a year, over a year now, um, and I, I was trying to like dig deep about why I haven't been able to and I was there's so many reasons but namely I just haven't really been able to watch any romantic comedies for some time now um and I'm not really sure what movies I mean more on tv later but I haven't been able to I haven't seen anything because I haven't been drawn to watch them and I think that's just because I've been feeling like I can't actually sort of cope. Like I spent the first six months of this pandemic sort of in a version of a rom-com having a sort of weird pandemic fling. And then I've spent the last six months feeling like Captain Phillips in the last 10 minutes of, of that movie. Yeah, it's interesting. Some people seem to have gravitated to romantic comedy in the face of all of this stress, which makes perfect sense. But it's totally. equally valid. I think what Tess is describing that she went through I had a similar kind of, but actually all of us, at least here in America, were so uh, glued to our televisions and glued to our, you know, computer screens all the way up until the, and through the election. Um, America has basically been suffering from PTSD now for four years, and this was kind of the climax of it. We had one beautiful afternoon, the Saturday afternoon when, when, uh, Pennsylvania was called for Biden. And there was literally shouting in the streets. And like, uh, it was a window of about six hours of pure joy and celebration when things shifted. But then um, almost immediately, of course, everything went right back into what I've been telling people is the 2020 extension, uh, where it didn't even begin to feel like 2021 until well into the end of January, uh, given all the, the absolute crazy shit that's basically been going on here so in the midst of all that romantic comedy hmm and i think that because of the lack of narrative 
because it hasn't like you know we've been like it's a disaster movie it's contagion you know and then it's and I I can't find right now the end point you know um but again I also have to say that as you just said I think it's quite a personal thing for me this last year I think I felt very invisible as a human being on lots of levels Mm -hmm. living on my own and doing the job that I do and I've had to really find ways like like anyone that lives on their own to sort of like feel alive still and those things have not necessarily been sitting watching romantic comedies about how people about people getting together which has been weird for me because that's my job (laughs) right right but I think it is true that it's it's arguably been more difficult for single people during this entire year uh you know I have some single friends who 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 uh, resentfully uh, protest that point of view and go, actually, no, no, we're fine, we're good. But uh, I do think it's been easier for people who are in couples to cope. Well, I think what has happened to single, particularly single women, is that our coping mechanisms have been taken away from us. So mm. I'm very happy being single. I'm not someone that is necessarily like looking for a relationship until it's like the best human being I've ever met in my entire life. So, um, but previously, what I would do is I take myself to the cinema. I would go for massages so that I had some, you know, physical touch. I would go for cocktails and drinks with my female friends and we'd have fun and go out dancing. And, you know, I'm in my forties and I'm not going to stop doing that because I'm in my forties. And all of that, which I realized was setting up this great kind of infrastructure for me so that I didn't feel like all is lost. And that's gone. You, you can't really, yeah, you can't really live a sex in the city kind of life when there's no city to be right. in. Right. But that said, my natural default mode in life is Pollyanna, um, the willfully misunderstood character who everyone always thinks is just happy and go lucky. And my dad always calls me and my mum Pollyanna. I think he means it as an insult, but actually I take it as a huge compliment because mm. part of Pollyanna is about, and this is actually quoting Lindsay Duran here, is about the fact that she is, it's not that she doesn't see the hopelessness, it's that she sees that it has gone untested. Um, and that's always been sort of my religion, is that I'm not saying, oh my God, everything's fine. I'm saying, I know everything is kind of terrible, but let's look for how we might be able to have put a positive spin on it. And yes. this year has been incredibly hard to do that, but I'm starting to feel like I'm coming out of it now. You know, I think it's just been, I haven't been unhappy per se. I've just been aware that I've really gone back and watched a lot of um, like movies like, very like Oscar Erin Brockovich like movies about the triumph of human spirit mm. rather than the triumph of like love whether they are love as well obviously so yeah when you get drunk honey why don't you get drunk with me no more you know it's been good you've been my gushing hug of honey so why do you We decided, having had a year of not doing this, to go to the internet and our emails and our Twitter feeds and kind of like talk about the things that we've been sent or the conversations we've had on Twitter. Um, It seemed like a good point to start because people who listen to the show often get in touch um, and ask us things. Um, So the first thing we're going to talk about uh, came about when Craig Mazin weighed in 
on a tweet that I had sent to you, <laughs> not even out there for the whole world to see, just directly to you, good old Craigie, not on Twitter anymore. Um, I had said I had watched the trailer for Happier Season, which was the Hulu uh, Christmas rom-com um, about a lesbian couple, uh, one of whom is not out yet, and she goes home, takes her home to her family, um, Kristen Stewart and um, totally forgotten the name of Mackenzie someone great they're both great but I had tweeted you the trailer saying I'm really looking forward to this and you had been slightly more cautious and said ah, you know let's just wait and see but the question to kind of address I guess is Craig weighed in saying you there's got to what was the exact thing he was basically sort of well, saying he was responding to my complaint which he rightfully identified as a kind of an inside industry complaint. I was saying, God, I'm so tired of seeing romantic comedies, gay romantic comedies, spec scripts and other projects like that, where the issue is that one of the partners has not come out. Right. I was saying, God, haven't we moved on past this? Why must the come out or not issue be the prominent conflict in such a piece? Right. And Craig went... Well, easy for you to say, Mr. Murnett, sitting there in your studio office, but for the rest of America, uh, please name me uh, this onslaught of so many movies that are using this riff that are already out there in the marketplace. And he caught me dead to rights, meaning I really had to think about, yeah, had there actually been any major studio films made where the coming out was the issue? Right. And that's what was interesting. And then everyone weighed in further to that on our Twitter feed, sort of saying, agreeing with you or agreeing with Craig. Um, and I don't really think you were technically dis even disagreeing, actually, when you just re-explained it back to me. It was more about, I suppose, what are we now looking for in our modern uh, LGBTQ movies? And how are we going to evolve them so that they don't necessarily adhere to one particular trope? But the problem is, is that most romantic comedies adhere to a trope. Um, yeah. And that is such a specific one for that community. Um, I didn't weigh in at the time, but I, I do have one theory <laughs> that you might be interested in. Part of me was a bit alarmed that there was such a big deal about it because in my mind, they're not totally reinventing the wheel here. Like, and that I feel we've gone slightly backwards because there were a lot of movies in the 90s where there were gay characters in relationships within families and they weren't a big deal <laughs> so you've mm -hmm. got the family stone and you've got home for the holidays and you've got yeah. you know and also movies that did deal with that specific thing like the wedding banquet so there were actually movies that were deemed pretty successful that that dealt with a lot of those things. So it was unusual to me that we were even having this conversation about a movie. I saw it as, oh, it's another, it's, it's great, another movie to add to that kind of like small but growing catalogue of those kind of movies and the more the merrier. Uh, yeah, but I, I think also the, think we slightly back. Yeah, but what Craig was putting his finger on is there's a difference between uh, indie movies and uh, mainstream Hollywood studio features. Uh, ironically, over at Universal, just before the pandemic hit, I had been working on a project uh, co-written by, co by Billy Eichner, 
and Nicholas Stoller called Bros, which was a gay romantic comedy. And we were planning to sort of pitch it to the world as the first major, major studio gay romantic comedy. Uh, I think they had forgotten about Love, Simon, which I would say really has those honors. But, um, and unfortunately, production got shut down because of the pandemic. Um, but to me, I'm then in that perhaps, you know, isolated world. What I loved about the Eichner movie is, yes, it had nothing to do with anybody coming out. It was about two gay men and their issues. Right. And that to me was a much more contemporary and mature way to do that kind of romantic comedy. Uh, in other words, we'd already gotten past uh, the coming out threshold. And so I persist, Craig's right, meaning sure, if, if that's what America needs to see first is more coming out movies, great. But uh, yeah, it would be nice to, to think that we were moving on. You know, but it's the age old problem with romantic comedies across the board is that people are always going, oh, but it's the same old thing. And it's like, but there's room for like a lot of different stories within, just like there are in all genres. So again, it's that other very specific targeted thing at romantic comedies, you know, mm. and Obviously, they are traditionally the most heterosexual movies in the world, but so are most other genre movies, you know. Yeah. How, many, how many horror movies is the lead character gay? How many thrillers is the lead character bisexual? You know, like it's... So there's this fine line between let's make it totally mainstream so that there's room for all of those different ideas. So you can have your coming out ones, but you can also have ones that are just about... You know, I think we just have to be... We just have to be cognizant of not... Um, not always putting everything into these boxes of things, because the only way is to set these movies, to set romantic comedy free, <laughs> is to let them have encompass all facets of all relationships and all characters and all setups. And you know, even Hallmark this year, evidently, did their their first gay Hallmark Christmas movie. That so, to me yeah. is more revolutionary. Mm -hmm. That to me is because people don't a lot of people don't have Hulu. You know, Hulu's a Yes, great, you're owned by Disney, but, but the amount of people who don't necessarily have it, most a lot of America has the Hallmark Channel. So sure. pushing for that is even, I think, more important, you know, because, like, again, we're only yeah. in our little weird Hollywood world here where we're having this debate in an echo chamber, you know. But the moral of the story is the more, the merrier. Yes, indeed. Which segues us nicely into a a tweet that I, I do that thing on Twitter where I really am like, I can't weigh in, don't weigh in, stay back, stay back, Morris. And then, and then I just can't. So a friend of, someone I follow on Twitter had, um, had been like a top 20 rom-com usual kind of things. And he had tweeted, yeah, but is broadcast news a rom-com? Oh, for Lord's sake. Let me just say this about that immediately, that it's, you don't have to be academic about it to understand that in a romantic comedy, it is the romantic relationship that is the central conflict of the movie. If you can pull that conflict from the movie and the story still holds, then yes, you're not in a romantic comedy. I would posit to those who are questioning broadcast news, if you remove the romantic triangle between Holly Hunter's character, Albert Brooks, and William Hurt, where's your movie? Right. It no longer exists. So the, the very idea that somehow 
it's not a romance and it's not a romantic movie is patently absurd. And then I just direct you to the first, the famous first six minutes of the film in which you're introduced to each character in a prologue flashback. You know, these are the, the leads when they were young. Are you laughing? And the answer is yes, you are laughing copiously at each of the three separate introductions to these characters. Does that tell you you're in a comedy? Yes, in fact, you are. I just want to put paid to this once and for all because it's, it. and I, I replied to, to this friend on Twitter and I said, it's, I just, I, I was so tired. I just was like, it's 100% romantic comedy. And then right. he's like, if, if, if you say so, <laughs> I, I, that was not, I went, almost went full Holly Hunter on him. Yeah. But mm. I actually said to him instead, I literally don't have the energy to explain to you why this film is a bit Texas, My friend from Texas, Nan, her response when she's in those situations is she just takes a pause and then she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. But anyway, the point of that story is that I, I don't understand, is it because it's, Let's forget about my usual rant about award season and movies that are, get awards that don't get put in the rom-com pantheon. Like, fine, that's my, you know, constant rant about whatever. But is it because it's political? Is it because it's actually saying something about life? Is it because it's very masculine, and in, it's, even though it's essentially a really feminist movie? Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't think that was both romantic and funny in equal measure. I just it it kind of speaks to uh, a bias that is is baked so deeply into the culture that it's almost like white supremacy you know it's like you can't see the sea that we're all swimming in in that anytime you have a conversation with a friend or relative about what's going on in their lives male or female one really truly important question is always well have you met someone are you involved are you going to be in a relationship or if you know of someone who's in a relationship are, are you thinking about having kids i mean it is such a central preoccupation to being human that i just find it uh, bewildering that somehow it gets relegated as if it's just you know something for girls you know, as if it's like some kind of sidebar to human existence when it is so central to what? everything we're doing in it. And why, as you were saying that, I was thinking, is it because any movie like, that there's no happy ending, there's, that, that, that she doesn't get her, she actually, she ends up happy, but because there isn't the traditional romantic comedy, the ending of her getting the guy or him getting the girl. Um, and the same goes for movies like, the Graduate and Tootsie, these movies that are 100% romantic comedies, but possibly because of the endings are not, not, not on the nose there together. You know, you think about the end of The Graduate, you're confused right. about how they feel about each other. You think about the end of Tootsie, he just, it's not about him getting her, but at the end, you kind of think he is going to when yeah. in New York. So I'm just wondering, same with Annie Hall, they don't, you know, it's anything that doesn't, end in the way people are used to a romantic comedy ending. Well, again, that's a misunderstanding of what a romantic comedy is, which is romantic comedies are not required to end in a happy ending, meaning a marriage or even a relationship that uh, unmarried is going to endure. They're about, will these two people form a union? Meaning, will they become a couple? And what is the significance of that? And right. as long as it is as 
Woody Allen, the pariah, says at the end of Annie Hall, even though they've gone their separate ways, he knows it's the most important relationship of his life. Similar broadcast news and all of these other films that end like that. That's the point. That is what is like, that's what makes them so good as well. Like, I don't yeah. need, what do I want from my romantic comedies? At the very least, I just want people to have had a journey. Like, and whether that journey yeah. is for them to end up together. I mean, I always say that about Man Up. I don't think Nancy and Jack end up together. I think they have a great couple of years and then they realize, oh my God, we met under very heightened circumstances. <laughs> what is going on? You know, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, maybe I think actually that's good to have like thought out, thought through with you because I do think possibly it might be to do with the endings of these films. I think that- Well, it, it permeates all of the arts. You know, there's this whole dispute in literary circles about what had been thought of quote unquote domestic novels, right? Because they have to do with women's concerns. I point you to, for God's sake, Madame Bovary. What's more of a domestic <laughs> novel? than what is considered one of the greatest novels in the history of literature. So, uh, and this gives me a chance to correct something that happened to me when I was in college. I, I remember I was working on a short film that was about uh, romantic betrayal and the fact that a guy had lost his girlfriend to another man. And I remember the instructor made fun of me. He said, you know, women do sleep with other guys. You know, that happens. And it was as, as if like, this was not a fitting subject for a short, what I wanted to say, this is the thought on the stairs, right? Some 40 years later was, oh yeah, how about Anna Karenina? Do you think that's a valid story? You know, it's just, it's amazing to me that it still at this late date is getting denigrated that a romantic conflict can be thought of as somehow lesser or secondary or not important or not significant when it is just the keystone of you know some of the greatest works in every form there is. And by the way, the keystone of fucking life. Like yeah. you know, I know. Anyway, we no one will ever tweet me about broadcast news ever again. Hopefully, <laughs> certainly. list was doesn't come actually from Twitter Billy's hasn't even like adhered to our list he's gone rogue most of this pod but um you had emailed me uh that about and I'd said let's talk about it on the pod because this is a good question you had emailed me about the great to show that I uh worked on and wrote for uh versus mm -hmm. Bridgerton which yeah. I haven't seen because I haven't seen anything and also that was way too romantic for me to be watching that show I've obviously the great very different story um, but you wanted to do a little compare contrast on them, which I'm very intrigued by. Yeah, mainly as a segue into just talking about uh, shows that feature romance and romantic comedy on the small screen. Uh, but in this case, I'm a great lover of The Great. I think it's one of the great series of this past year. And Tess, of course, did write one of the best episodes for it, uh, which is just brilliant, as we would expect. Um, but what I loved about the romantic aspects of The Great is it really takes the piss out of the whole romantic aspect of stuff. There are transactional relationships on that show. And the central relationship is between a woman aspiring to be a queen and the sort of tyrant king that she's married to, who she nearly 
big spoiler, uh, plots to kill at one point in the series. So it, it really takes your standard romantic tropes and turns them inside out. And having devoured, I think my wife and I binged on The Great in about two or three days. We just loved it so much. Uh, after seeing that, it was kind of a little, uh, I really had to like recalibrate myself when I saw Bridgerton because Bridgerton is basically Regency porn. I mean, it's it's like it is literally romance novels come to life, right? And even though it's subversively, you know, uh, the, the casting is diverse on purpose and there are some risque bits to it, but it's about as old fashioned as one can possibly be when it comes to uh, romantic issues and turn and that show turns on tropes that are truly as old as Austen and older. And yet it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I when I got hired on The Great and I'd read the pilot and I said to the showrunner, oh, this is my dating life. Um, <laughs> oh, God, like, that's a frightening thought. Right. But in terms of, oh, you know, constantly being attracted to narcissists um, and want, and then wanting to kill them. Um, I think, but I, I'm not like, again, this, this, the comparison thing that is happening now, do we do this to any other genre yet again? So do we go, oh, but Mindhunter versus the new Clarice, you know, do we go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of like the genre. Big well, some do. I mean, it's kind of a geek preoccupation. Right. Point. But it is still, I do, I am starting to, maybe it's because of this last year, I am starting to get into this world of like, we seem to only pit very heavily female. And the good, the great thing about the great is that actually, you know, it, it, it does both hopefully on many levels in terms of being both female and, and male, but essentially it's, it's a female show. Um, but again, like, why are we only comparing? It's like everything that happened with Emily in Paris and all of these things that are like pitching. And by the way, that was a very valid argument against May I Destroy You versus Emily in Paris. Um, but for many people, Emily in Paris basically um, was their like savior and bomb last year. And then we bring in Promising Young Woman because we're pitching that again. Everyone, is, but it's only female stuff we're pitching. And by the way, these are all valid arguments that should be encompassed because of the misrepresentation of, of, of everything on screen in terms of women and people of color. But, but I am very fascinated how we are not saying, oh, you know, um, Tarantino versus Scorsese, or we're not taking any of the heavily male uh, vested projects and comparing and contrasting them. Well, again, this is we fish who do not see the sea, right? Because one could certainly compare Tarantino and Scorsese and whatever in terms of the assumptions that are made about those stories. Uh, I think that, again, the cultural bias is that romantic stories are wish fulfillment fantasies. But that's because no one is looking at Goodfellas as a wishful film, film <laughs> which it is, which is one glorifying and romanticizing some of the scummiest mooks and horror show people in the world, right? What, you know, you're taking these from the Godfather on out, the entire mob genre is all about creating a wishful film and fantasy. Oh, it's he's doing it for his family. 
you know, all of these tropes that we accept and never question, and they are just as radically bogus in terms of what is the moral center of the fantasy that's being pitched, but we don't question it because it's men. Do you know the one movie, I, again, this is in line with movies that Tess has actually like wanted to watch in the last like year or so. I think one of my favorite movies the last few months or last whatever year is News of the World. Have you seen it? It's the Paul Green and Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. It is old fashioned as fuck but it manages to be really modern. It managed to, has a central female young, you know, girl as its main, with secondary main character. And it's about something. Like, it's like that kind of film that you watch where you just go, huh, I didn't see that coming. I thought it was just gonna be a Western and Tom Hanks doing this thing. No, it's about father, daughter. It's about race. It's about America. It's about religion. It's about fake news. It's about Trump, you know. And, but we're not comparing that to any other movie that's similar to it right now, are we? We're not being like, oh, is there another movie about that, those exact themes? Yes, definitely there are. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really know what the point of that rant is. I guess I hear you 100% on, and I'm very grateful for you saying that about The Great, obviously. Um, but I also think that maybe we need to stop comparing and contrasting too much yeah gonna be a tough habit to break uh that's I know. for sure i know we can do it though but i tell you what in line with that there's tv shows that i have been because i haven't been watching film rom-coms but i have i did watch the entire season one to nine of the office um which is 100 percent. by the time you get to the end of that show a romantic comedy not just about you know, oh, but one of the ev everyone like it's all built towards towards relationships mm -hmm. uh similarly parks and rec which i did which i really enjoyed shit's creek all about love all about mm -hmm. relationships uh -huh. and i'm just currently binging ted lasso which is the most subversive show i think i've seen for a long time because the central character is a pollyanna and i love him <laughs> He's the best Pollyanna. That show is just an instant tonic. If there's anything bothering you in your life, just watch a Ted Lasso episode. You'll feel 100% better. Wonderful. And it did actually make me think about that we, what's so, what's so lovely about it is, is that he's this wonderful, positive human. But I was like, can we get some female characters like that on screen that don't just get put in the camp of being frothy and positive and, you know, I was like, let's have more, Lady Ted Lasso's, you know? That's, that's well, is is it, are we still on TV rom-coms here? And is it okay to- uh, Oh, this is our next section. This is our segue in to, uh, let me look at what I headlined it. Uh, I'd like to the headline is, which I haven't actually written down, is more about when people are asking us like, what are the best rom-coms we've seen this year? And we have, okay. we realized during our previous chat uh, yesterday or the day before, that we had two of our favorite things that are rom-coms that people might not one of One of them is the, the kind of the anti-Pollyanna, right? <laughs> the 180-degree. The uh, I would like to nominate for favorite romantic comedy character on a TV series, Fran Leibowitz, and <laughs> Pretend It's a City. Because if you've seen it, it's actually a triangle. It's a love affair between Fran, Marty Scorsese, and New York City. 
and to watch the three of them go round and round on it is uh, just sheer pleasure for the likes of me, an ex-New Yorker who's a curmudgeon as well. She's my spirit animal, basically. I mean, I think you should get in line for that. I mean, we're. I think there's a lot of us who are like, she's she's me. She's no one. She is Fran fucking Leibovitz. <laughs> but I, the rom-com of that, how Marty laughs, I'll call him Marty because we're on first name terms. His, his laughing at her is my favorite. It's just joyous. Oh, his delight is infectious. You know, it's... He just finds her so funny. He lets her talk. I believe so. Right, but there's something about how he, I mean, again, it's interesting, isn't it? That like, you know, watching, watching a man of his stature and experience and all of those things, not try and insert himself into any aspect of her, what she's talking about, or who she is. Right. It's also so romantic to me. <laughs> Talk about empowerment, yeah. Right. And so, also, like you say, between like her relationship with New York, and we always joke about New York's a character in a romantic comedy, but New York is a character in romantic comedy, oh, 100%. In that series, for sure, yeah. yeah. But I, I feel... Uh, I really do want to be an advocate for another show that did not get quite as much attention uh, that I, I think I, I steered you towards, or at least tried lobbied for you watching. And a lot of people have never seen it. Uh, but there is this absolutely delightful series that is a reality TV show called Love on the Spectrum. And it's about how people who are on the spectrum find each other and all of these attempts on the part of these people to, to hook up. And you meet the most lovable, endearing, and delightful people in this series, uh, episode after episode, absolutely riveting. I, I binged because I would wanna find out, well, gee, is he gonna find someone in the next episode? Um, it's everything you want in a romantic comedy, wouldn't it you say, Ted? So I mean, it's an Australian show as well, and there's something about that Aussie humour as well. It's, mm. it's there's definitely like shades of Muriel wedding, Muriel's wedding tonally going on. You know, mm -hmm. um, you were you told me to watch it, and I did my classic thing where when people tell me to watch something, I refuse to watch it um, because yeah. I'm Fran Leibovitz. Um, <laughs> like, like three, right? Isn't the magic number? It's like finally when the third person says it, you go, right. "Oh well." Yeah. But it really. What I think is so clever and so lovely about that show is that you think it's going to be about being on the spectrum and all of the, you know, uh, the barriers and the conflicts that they face. It's not. It's about being a human being. It's, it, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, sure, they lean into a lot of, you know, they're, they're, they're people who, like, are, who operate differently in society, so to speak, but they're also not as well. I mean, there were so many of my female friends who there's, there's a, a heartbreaking scene where one of the girls gets just very overwhelmed on a date because it's very loud in the restaurant and and I said to a friend of mine who actually is autistic I was I said oh I mean I feel like that on a date so there yeah. were so many universal themes going on in terms of like how yeah. do you date in this modern world let alone if you've you know if you're an autistic human being but but also they're it, it really leveled the playing field. It wasn't trying to go, oh, they're a bit, you know, whatever. It was just basically like, here's a human being who has trouble dating. <laughs> well, in a way, it's more honest than, than your, your, your un, 
you know, unautistic humans who would tend to front and uh, cover up those kinds of emotional moments. Here, you're really getting the honest, true responses from people and how it feels and what right, it's like. Right, and I think it, like I binged it, and um, then I uh, told everyone else to watch it and pretended that I'd invented the wheel. Um, but um, <laughs> it was you who told me. But it's great. Those two shows, if you just again, and I'll add Ted Lasso to that as well at the moment. They're like three shows that really made me feel really good about life again, which was, you know, was very helpful. You're great when you get drunk, honey. Why don't you get drunk with me no more? You know it's been good. You've been my gushing hug, honey. So why'd you forget this time and lock the back porch door? Okay, so finally, we also wanted to talk because we a lot of people have been sending us over the last year articles about, um, you know, uh, things, pandemic love stories that could, could this be a rom-com, essentially, is that, so we're kind of stealing from script notes when they are like, could this be a movie? Um, yeah. People have been sending us articles and then, so we picked a few of the, we picked a few key ones. The first one, which is like everyone sent to me, and I I feel like they're they're probably developing it already, and maybe they are. Maybe you told me this was the couple that got stranded in the Maldives right at the beginning. I mean, uh, if you want to talk about wish fulfillment fantasy, the, the, this this is almost it feels like it must have been written. This is a couple that decided to splurge on a romantic honeymoon on an island in the Seychelles. Is it uh, the Maldives? Maldives, and. Uh, so you have the groom who's sort of secretly a little concerned about the finances involved, but is like, okay, they've they've decided they're 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 going to do this. And of course, once they're there, they are then marooned as the pandemic hits. And it ends up as other guests leave, that they become the only couple left in this island resort with an entire staff in quarantine servicing them. And catering to their every whim. And, you know, it's just down to the detail of like, you know, they would be having breakfast on the terrace or whatever. And they'd suddenly realize that the whole staff was lined up. And then there was the guy, the sports, you know, the trainer or whatever, you know, would be tapping like, don't you want to go down to the, you know, these poor people with nothing to do are, are actually like uh, hounding our couple looking for some excuse, some some reason to be while they're while they're stuck there together. Um, it's oh, so perfect. It, yeah, and someone on Twitter said to me, oh my God, but this just sounds hellish. And I said, but it's also hilarious. And he was like, well, may, you know, maybe it's a bit of both then. And I said, yeah, that's a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Heaven and hell wrapped I mean, up in a beautiful travelogue-like setting. What, what right. could be better? Although I think if I, I think obviously on the surface, it's like, but what would that movie be about? Because I was thinking about, you know, it's got obviously all the, the ingredients, but it, it would need that forgetting Sarah Marshall kind of um, destination wedding. Uh. Well, they had the conflict of the ticking clock. It's like every day they stayed there, even they were even though they were being cut a break by the uh, the administration there. 
it was dipping into their nest egg. It was it was deflating their what the money they were going to use to buy a house. Right. Well, that's a good ticking clock. I mean, I might actually find it. I was my my like little angle on it might have been that I would have preferred it if it was maybe a couple, an older couple who were renewing their vows and kind oh, of cool. actually add mm -hmm. some, you know, add a bit more pathos to it in terms of do we want to recommit? Maybe they've gone there to recreate their marriage of you know 20 30 years ago or whatever and and then this happens and forces them to really confront you know do a kind of alexander Payne spin on it mm, yeah yeah um mm -hmm. and if you were going to go younger then i think you'd want to really be you'd really want to dig deep into why these two people had why they choose to stay like are they because i think like everyone in the article it talks about how gradually like you say everyone started to get on the last flight back and then they sort of made this decision of like well we're just going to stay and i'm really interested in like that decision of like mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. do you not want to go home to um, <laughs> right and why what skeleton in what closet will be revealed right. about that right. choice right i mean maybe that's a perfect example for like a, an lgbtq movie you know but maybe <laughs> like you know that's that's what's i don't know i don't know but anyway i think that's a great one um then the other one uh oh why has it gone back so i've got this other one which is what was an npr piece actually that someone sent us um that was love at first quarantine and it's about a single they, a, a couple that they had one date at the beginning of the pandemic and then went into lockdown in New York and decided to move in together. <laughs> mm. And she also got Corona COVID during this, this situation. I mean, this has not been updated, um, but essentially they went on this date, they had, they really hit it off and they both look at each other post the lockdown and say, well, should we just go for it? Um, they'd never lived together before. They don't know each other. Then she gets sick amongst it all. Um, mm. This article is it, it, when it was published. Was they'd only they've done seventy one days together. So I'm very interested in where <laughs> they are now. <laughs> where are they now? Well, yeah. my, this is if I was going to write about this, and I don't know whether you agree. I'm very interested in a lot of people who panicked at the beginning of this pandemic, and I think this is obviously everyone's sort of saying it's either going to be come Christmas babies or divorces but they were saying that last year so now we're into the second year of this who fucking knows but um this is a big thing to do to <laughs> to move someone and yes, i think i would need to add some maybe a lie to it maybe um something they haven't told each other about why the agenda yeah right like because the obvious thing is is like you know she's all the jokes are there you know she's a really messy person he's not she's vegetarian he's you know loves me like they don't know anything about each other but I feel like I sort of think I know where that story is going you know they're gonna right. they're gonna realize that they can compromise and they can be together sure I would so, so like them to just absolutely despise each other six weeks in and then when she gets sick that that is like fucking hell I can't put her out on the street now because right. she's sick Maybe mm -hmm. he gives it to her, she gives it to him and it's like a whole thing, you know. Um, yeah, Happy I want to like, huh? Happy anniversary, honey. Right. <laughs> You're positive. Yeah. Right. I'd want it to go as, I'd want it to like sort of become like full on carnage between them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, well, you would. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, just to really like get into, because like, you know, in some ways it's ideal because you, you know, and at the beginning of this pandemic, there was, I had a lot of, 
like producers, studio people, you know, get in touch and say, have you got a pandemic rom-com? You know, what's your pandemic rom-com? And I, and I did, I did have one and I wrote it up, but in, in hindsight, um, I realized that I didn't want to watch that movie. Like I, I again, why I don't, maybe don't want to watch rom-coms at the moment is that I don't want to watch two people in one space, you know, and making it pandemic friendly filming wise. But that said, it's weird because I love a contained idea. You know, I love where you're like, here's your constraints. What can you do with it? Um, and I, I also just need to interject that uh, to me that the whole industry think on this is counterintuitive. Um, let me hazard a guess. The vaccines have worked their wonders. Um, more people are masked, the pandemic's been turned around, people are going out into movie theaters. Do you really think that the first thing you want to see in a movie theater is about people who are masked having to deal with the pandemic and right. Zooming? Right. I don't think so. I want to see people, like, I want to see, like, orgies, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the last thing you want is, is a pandemic rom-com once it's over. Or at least yeah, it's right. So both, for both of these, I'm like, I don't think I'd want to watch either of them. But the third one, I actually think that I found, which was about this couple in um, the UK who are a doctor and a nurse who were due to get married pre-pandemic, and then subsequently, obviously, it didn't happen, but they then decided to just go through with it at the hospital um, and to, you know, invite who they could from there. And to, and I read it and I thought, that to me, what I, what I, if I do want to watch movies about what's been going on, then I want them to feel like that they are relevant to the people that have actually been propping up the whole world. You know, I, d I don't want to see yeah. two forlorn loveless 30 year olds going wherever i want to see like people who've been at the couple paramedics areas. yeah right 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 and and i think that there is space to make that eventually you know tragedy plus time etc etc and this has been a huge tragedy but i think there's going to be when you actually speak to doctors and nurses and people who are on the you know these frontline workers like they they they're having to get on with their fucking lives you know yeah. So there's love stories there that I'm much more interested in than, Absolutely. yeah. Um, it's funny because a lot of people were sending me after what after the after the capital uh, got stormed. A lot of people were sending me that article about um, the women on Bumble who had these left wing uh, democratic women who had started to change their profile so that they could um, try and catch some of these you know, Republican um, writers. Yeah. And um, and I went back and forth with a writer friend of mine about whether it, it was a rom-com, whether there was something in it. And I just, in the end, was like, this is just fundamentally not funny. Like, I can't... Yeah. I, I cannot say to you that I could find this funny. And if I read about it being made, I'd be like, that is a... And it probably will be, by the way. I can see it being made as a thriller. I can see it being made as a as a as a horrible, fucked up whatever movie. But as a romantic comedy, no, no, thank you. No, the the most cr romantic comedy criminal pitch that I saw this year coming out of the news was the article that happened this past summer in July, where the headline is. Oregon man driving stolen car crashes into woman driving another stolen car. Oh, yeah. I thought, 
I thought, my God, it's a Coen Brothers film. There we go. You've got, you know, they 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 identified the first driver as having stolen the car, and then they realized that the car he crashed into a woman who had stolen hers three weeks previous. And I thought, what a cute meet. There you go. I mean, right. Right. go to town from there, you know? This is the thing. It's about, like, finding... I mean, I do think you're right. I think once things, whenever they are, go back to normal... No one's going to give a shit. Everyone's just going to, you know. But there is this residue of story and of emotion that it's we're going to carry forward with us, you know. Like, you know, people are going to be saying, well, what's her motivation? Well, maybe it's because she spent a year having no sex. So she's now, you know, like, there, 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 are ways, there are ways to, like, well, she spent a year with the wrong man and now she wants to find... Well, yes, for some, oh. using the pandemic as your backstory now. There you go. Sure. Right. right. That to me is more interesting. And if we're going to do any actual stories about it, I, I'm so bored of my, you know, my own privileged part in this pandemic that I don't want to, I don't want to watch that. You know, I want to, I want to see the people that have actually been, you know, keeping society fucking functioning. <laughs> so, Indeed. I'll drink yeah. to that. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, look, that is, you know, I think, I just wrote down at the end here that we should be like, we kind of covered that now about like, what is the future and what are we going to look for? And that is exactly what I'm going to look for. Um, I want to see people really dig. I want to see writers in particular. And I apply this to myself, like really thinking about their characters in terms of like, not just a will they, won't they, but you know, why won't they? And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really thinking about that more. Yeah, which brings me to the the thing I'm always saying to writers that I work with, which is the the mistake that so many romantic comedy writers make is they are thinking about the right the movie that they're writing as a romantic comedy. And I always go, no, 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 no. You're writing about two fascinating people and a specific issue that's native to them. That's what you're digging into here. Because once you kind of go in the framework of, oh, it's a rom-com I'm writing, then of course your go-to is going to be the very tropes that Tess and I love to dissect and take apart and shoot down on a daily basis. Whereas if you just think of it as the story of two people, two fascinating people and what it is that they have to offer each other and how that's going to change their lives, that's a different thing. Right, I mean, it's really like our podcast, Billy, two fascinating people. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Gosh, set you up. There you go. Well, yeah. I say it's been very nice to just talk about all of this with you. Like, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, one thing I'm really missed during this pandemic is, and it's why, like, you know, I think probably you saw that piece I tweeted that my best friend Laura wrote about us on our daily FaceTime. Oh, it was so lovely. Just, I have just found to... so much romance. This is my friend who I FaceTime with every single day and have done since the beginning of the pandemic. And, she's been right you know my she's been my romance during this you know she's been my 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 from com or whatever you want to call it and you know Mm. the people in my life over the last year who I've got the most romantic stuff from and yes there's been the odd man let's not uh let's pretend there hasn't but like but actually most of them have been just good friends like you who when you do connect with them you're like oh we're on we're all feeling the same things but we're not pretending that we're you know doing great but we're also not pretending we're in the worst situation ever and you know hopefully by the time we next pod again i don't know maybe 
maybe I'll just want to do a whole one on Ted Lasso, to be honest. I can feel that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, there will be a season two, so there's that right. to look forward to. I know, and three. They picked it up for two more. Excellent. Yeah. Um, can I just briefly name check the one romantic comedy that I saw this past year that, that made me laugh out loud, mm -hmm. which is Palm Springs? Obviously, I haven't seen it. Uh, seen anything. Yeah. yeah, love it or hate it. It's a. It, when I heard about it, I thought, "Oh God, I do not want to see a derivative Groundhog Day movie." But in fact, uh, it's really funny, and it ends up being powered by its female protagonist in a really interesting way. So I think uh, okay. if you haven't seen, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch a romantic comedy. No, you need two more people to tell you from two okay. other places. Oh no! Everyone's told me. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I promise, I promise. Um, well, this has been, you had us at. Hello! And, and we're so, so happy to be able to uh, share our ramblings and meanderings with you all again. And we hope to not be away for quite so long. Quite so long. Let's agree that we will make more of an effort. Perhaps I'm there, I'm here. <laughs> I'm going yes. to stop the recording now. And, okay. But I'm not going to hang up from you. Okay. okay.